leading a startup team, whether you're delivering a sugar rush, stocking coffee, or getting a regular delivery of snacks, Office Depot has solutions that fit every startup culture, from getting those first business cards and stationery to ordering fleece pullovers with your new logo. To learn how Office Depot and the California Technology Council have partnered to bring you savings on all of these startup essentials and more, go to californiatechnology.org forward slash member benefits. I'm Daniel Levine, and this is the Bio Report. Last month, the Senate confirmed Robert Califf, a cardiologist and clinical researcher from Duke University, as commissioner of the U.S. Food and Drug Administration. Though he was overwhelmingly confirmed, some expressed concerns about his ties to the pharmaceutical industry. Others used the confirmation process to protest the FDA's handling of opioid painkillers as the problem of addiction to these drugs had become a growing concern. We spoke to Peter Pitts, a former FDA associate commissioner and president of the Center for Medicine and the Public Interest, about Caleb, why he's well-suited for the job, and the challenges he'll face in his new role. Peter, thanks for joining us. Oh, my pleasure. Always a pleasure. Robert Califf is succeeding Margaret Hamburg as the new commissioner of the U.S. Food and Drug Administration. We're going to talk about who Calif is, what he means for both the FDA and the, the drug industry, and the big issues that he'll be confronting. Let's start with Calif himself. Shortly after he was appointed to the FDA as a deputy commissioner in January, you suggested to Reuters that he would be a fine FDA commissioner. Do you think his appointment as a deputy commissioner was intended as part of a succession plan? Yes, I do. And obviously, it wasn't presented that way. But, you know, Rod Caleb has been you know, on the short list to be commissioner under presidents from both parties uh, for, for quite a few years. So when Piggy Hamburg was reaching, you know, past the seven-year mark of her commissionership, that generally is time to start thinking about leaving and setting a succession plan in place, and then you know a smart commissioner looks for a successor who can who can carry on initiatives that she began and move them forward. I mean, Peggy was, in many respects, the FDA's first 21st century commissioner, and now Rob Califf is really going to be the first commissioner whose major focus is going to be on precision medicine or personalized medicine. He he comes to the job uh, with very little learning curve with respect of senior leadership. So when he was brought in by Peggy towards the end of her tenure, I think the signals were pretty clear that he was the heir apparent. Well, he certainly has impressive credentials. There, there was some criticism, including from presidential hopeful Bernie Sanders, that he might be a bit too close to industry. But for people not familiar with, with Califf, can, can you talk a little about his background and what makes him so well-suited for this position? Rob Califf comes to FDA from Duke, where he headed up a number of different initiatives, including initiatives that that uh, engaged the FDA and the Institute of Medicine, another high-profile uh, non-academic institution. So he understands kind of this whole concept of intramural research. You know, one of the 
dings against him by Senator Sanders was that he was too close to industry because he worked with industry on clinical trials during his time at Duke, which is completely true. But I think that Senator Sanders, as so many others, don't understand that the FDA doesn't do clinical trials, that industry does clinical trials, and that they want the best and the brightest to work with them. So he's, so he's been a real mover and shaker in this whole concept of adaptive clinical trial design, clinical trials that recruit subpopulations, you know, you know genomic-based you know, uh, theory put, in, put into practice. So with academia and comes into FDA, he's walking into an agency that is already thinking very hard about how to incorporate non-large-scale randomized clinical trials into its philosophy of, of reviewing drugs. And I think that's going to be one of the key reasons that he's going to be remembered as a real 21st century commissioner. It seems like on the legislative front, Caleb should be pretty busy. Republican lawmakers want to split the 21st Century Cures Act into several pieces. They're focused on the aspects that would accelerate the process of bringing drugs to market. Any sense of what this means to the FDA and what the issues will be for Caleb? Well, I think one of the key issues within the 21st Century Cures Bill out of the House, and certainly within its general philosophy, is allowing the FDA to bring drugs to market uh, with thinner, thinner clinical data packages and they have a much more robust post-marketing vigilance perspective. And I think that type of language will give the FDA permission to do that. I think that they want to do that. Clearly, that is the Rob Califf philosophy. But I think what he, what he can accomplish is not only bringing drugs to market more quickly, which is, I think, the overall political purpose here, but also the ability to bring them to market more quickly and more safely. And also to use the requirement for more post-marketing vigilance to gather data to understand outcomes and change labels, if not in real time, uh, much quicker than generally has been uh, done in the past. He's also going to need to think about the passage of a new incarnation of the Prescription Drug User Fee Act, which provides the FDA with funding from the industry in exchange for an agreement to perform timely reviews of new drug applications. This has traditionally been a place where major new initiatives sometimes work their way into the, the legislation. Any issues you expect him to wrestle with here? I think that PDUFA 6, which is the one coming up for reauthorization, is going to be pretty clean. It's really about process rather than policy. I think the policy end is going to happen through leadership. And a good example is uh, there's not going to be in PDUFA any language directing the FDA, for example, how to deal with off-label promotion. But I think that's something that is clearly on Rob's agenda of things to do, because if the FDA doesn't lead, courts will make the decision, there'll be continued lawsuits. It's not going to be good for either uh, pharmaceutical companies or patients or physicians. But I think coming out of PDUFA, the FDA is going to get uh, more funding. I think it's going to have to do more things more quickly. I know, for example, PDUFA 6 looks like it's not going to give FDA uh, any funding until they actually hire the bodies for which that uh, money is earmarked, which is a change from the past. Uh, they're going to have to move forward in the, in the patient-focused drug development area, simply having meetings, using the data and intelligence gathered from those meetings to actually help draft guidances and impact risk-benefit analysis on new drugs in many disease areas. So I think that PDUFA 6 is going to make the FDA a more activist place to be. And that's good, again, for Rob. He's the guy that wants to get things done. He's both a thinker and a doer. Two, you, you mentioned precision medicine a moment ago. Two major initiatives from the White House have been the Precision Medicine Initiative and, and more recently the Cancer Moonshot Initiative. Do you see either of these figuring into the FDA? I'd like to say yes, but I'm, I'm hesitant. I mean, political pronouncements 
uh, even for good things like uh, addressing cancer and moving towards more precision-based uh, medical philosophies doesn't make science happen. Science is hard, science is expensive, and it requires a real intramural effort. I think one of the things that uh, everybody needs to learn is that just giving the NIH more money for basic research doesn't necessarily result in new treatments quickly or really uh, even at all. I think that what Rob, a role Rob could play is if uh, the Secretary of Health and Human Services, uh, Sylvia Burwell, decided to appoint an HHS innovation czar. Because, of course, uh, HHS combines the CDC and NIH and FDA as well. There are other agencies. And I would say if you wanted to make Rob Kaloff the HHS innovation czar to coordinate the various efforts that these agencies are doing, I think that would be a fine idea. Because he doesn't have enough on his plate? And if he, exactly. If he doesn't have enough <laughs> There have been a number of ways long discussed about how we can accelerate the time of drug development, how to get drugs to, to market faster and cheaper. I, I want to run through a few of those and ask you to ha how the FDA has done in, in terms of advancing these and what, if anything, you would expect to happen under Calif. The first of these is one you mentioned earlier, adaptive trials. First, maybe you can explain what an adaptive trial is. Well, it means lots of things, but as, as most basic, it means a smaller sample of prospective patients who fit a certain uh, specific type of clinical profile, gene-based, subpopulation-based, so that a trial has a fewer people in it can be done more quickly you know, at, at less expense. And then the, the label based on that type of trial would be more narrow. How has the FDA viewed these, and, and has there been progress in using them in any sense where, where Caliph might stand on them? No, there's, there's been some progress. I don't think there's been enough. I think there's been very meaningful pronouncements from senior members of the FDA staff, but that when those types of new, type, new trial designs reach the divisional level, when pharmaceutical companies are actually talking to people that are reviewing their protocols, uh, it hasn't been quite as successful because obviously people who are in the trenches uh, choose not to be as aggressive. They're, they're used to doing things a certain way, and, and the taking risks, uh, you know, they has risks. But now if you've got a guy on the top of the pyramid who is who is very much for this, who wants things to happen, I think that signal will be sent that these types of trials need to be looked at more seriously and allowed to go forward. The, the second is the use of biomarkers and, and efforts to find validated biomarkers to tell us more quickly whether an experimental drug works. What do you see happening here under Caliph? I think one of the problems with biomarkers is that they are, as you said, not being validated or not being validated quickly enough. And one of the, and we, we talked about intramural partnerships before, I think one of the things that Rob Caleb can lead at the FDA is to reach out to academic bodies, to other areas of government that are doing scientific research, to offer almost pre-validation, to do the work that the FDA isn't, isn't staffed to do either from a manpower basis or from an expertise basis, to work more closely with industry so that FDA isn't the only existing body that can approve a validated biomarker. I think that's very old age thinking. I think we've got to reach out to other groups in the U.S. We've got to reach out to our partners around the world in Europe, Asia, and elsewhere to understand what they're learning and incorporate their knowledge rather than saying if it's not invented here, it's not going to be looked at as usable by the FDA. Well, another issue that came up during his confirmation process was concern about the FDA's approval of opioid painkillers and, and the problems of addiction we face in this country. Notably, Senators Ed Markey and Joe Manchin opposed the nomination, not because of Califf per se, but as a way to protest the agency's handling of opioids. Any action you expect 
to come under Caleb, and is there going to be pressure on him to do something here? Well, there's pressure on so many things. I think when when it comes to opioids, whether it's abuse or addiction or overuse and misuse, they're all they're all important. But the role the FDA can play is to help again validate tools for physicians to understand which patients may be most at risk for abuse or addiction, and those are the patients who should be prescribed abuse deterrent opioids. You know, the, the hundreds of millions of Americans who suffer chronic pain and use non-abuse deterrent opioids regularly and safely you know, are not the problem. We're talking about a very small subpopulation here that's gotten extremely politicized. Uh, I think Senator Manchin and, uh, and others really you know, had, had their moment uh, in the sun from the media, but didn't really understand that the problem isn't the opioid. The problem is making sure that they are properly uh, prescribed and then, and then followed up. So I think the FDA's role here is going to be, of course, to continue the the advancement in the technology of abuse deterrent opioids, but also to work with physicians to make sure that all opioids are prescribed uh, within the safe use of drugs concept, where you make sure the right patient gets the right type of product. So um, among many other things, Califf did serve on the IOM committee that recommended removing the supplement ephedra from the market. Dietary supplements represent a huge market, but, but many of these products don't have to pass mother with the FDA to show they're safe and effective. Do, do you see any movement here to increase regulation of these products? Dietary supplements are a huge problem. The Deshaies needs to be revised, revisited and revised. The Dietary Supplement Health and Education Act, where unfortunately the E, the education part, has been completely silent. But the FDA isn't really funded to do a more robust job overseeing dietary supplements, and they really need to. You know, it's, it's a huge business. If more and more Americans are using them regularly. They are, for all intents and purposes, unregulated, both from a quality perspective as well as from a uh, marketing and advertising perspective. So I think that goes down to the question of, you know, can FDA help Congress exert the political will uh, to revisit the legislation that, uh, for example, quality, qualifies dietary supplements as foods rather than drugs? It's a, it's, a, it's a tough political question, but I think Rob Caleb, as you mentioned, who worked to help FDA get rid of Fedra, and I was, on, I was at the FDA at the time, it was a very important thing that we did. Uh, we took a lot of heat. You know, there a lot of... Uh, Political chips were called in, but we got the job done. I think he understands that it's an issue that needs to be addressed and sooner rather than later. Well, there's growing talk at the FDA about a, a move toward patient centricity and, and better incorporating patients into the drug development and review process. I, I think a lot of this has to do with the growing sophistication of the rare disease community and, and their efforts in this regard. But how has the FDA evolved, and, and do you see Caleb's presence affecting this in any way? I do. I think Rob, again, is the right guy at the right time for this whole concept of patient-focused drug development, specifically you know, what risks are patients willing to take uh, for medicines that, that treat their disease. Uh, I know years ago I worked on a project um, for idiopathic pulmonary fibrosis, and the, the endpoint for that is, is called the six-minute walk test, which is exactly what it sounds like. And many drugs fail the six-minute walk test, but patients said to the FDA, listen, this is not how we choose to measure success in our disease. We want to know, will this drug help me get up in the morning, make bed, make coffee for my family? Can I go out and get the mail? Can I play with my kids? Can I walk the dogs? So patients, not through personal anecdotes about their lives, but through data collection, through their trade, through their uh, therapeutic organizations, can really help the FDA understand you know, what the patients think, what, the, what risks the patients are willing to take, what the FDA should be measuring to measure uh, both risk and benefit. And I think that's going to move forward quite rapidly with Rob Gillis because the FDA has already made really rapid strides forward. He understands that this needs to happen as part of the accelerated approval process.
Peter Pitts, former associate commissioner of the FDA and president of the Center for Medicine and the Public Interest. Peter, thanks as always. As always, my pleasure. Thank you. Thanks for listening. The Bio Report is a production of the Levine Media Group. To automatically download this podcast each week, subscribe to our RSS feed or through iTunes or other podcast manager. To join our mailing list, go to levinemediagroup.com. We'd love to hear from you. If you want to drop us a line or are interested in sponsoring this podcast, send email to danny at levinemediagroup.com. Special thanks to Jonah Levine, who composed our theme music, and the Jonah Levine Collective, which performs it.